The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wesley Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, well, um, you know, it's interesting that, um, like you, like me, I, I probably, out of the 12 minor prophets, I probably got a, a good grip on about a half a dozen and loosely on some others, but anytime you spend any time walking through any book, you're going to have a greater clarity, but so a few of these, they were from the 12 minor prophets, and the 12 minor prophets cover a period of time of about 400 years. So, so anyway, the 400 years of the minor prophets, 100 years before the fall of Assyria, uh, uh, the northern kingdom in Assyria to the end of the Old Testament, and the prophet, their role was God's, as God's mouthpiece to speak his word to not just his people, but also to the nations around them. There were these, this voice of God that went out. And... Um, I got to thinking about that uh, so often, uh, you, you, like Jeremiah, you know, they didn't want to hear Jeremiah, so they just wanted to get rid of Jeremiah. So many didn't want to hear the words of the prophets because it was speaking to them directly as a people or a nation, and they didn't like it. So basically it was, if, if you could put it this way, the prophet were those that spoke God's word to the people who needed to hear it. And, you know, I think sometimes, uh, well, do we have prophets today? Well, I think that, uh, I think the gift is alive. And I think probably the, the best way that you're going to hear a prophetic voice today, the best way, and I'm looking, here's a Bible, right here, because this is prophetic right here. God's Word is prophetic. And so often you read through God's word, and as you read through God's word, his spirit convicts, convinces, speaks to you, warns you, brings conviction in your life. So if the prophets are God's messengers, I think if you were to look broadly through the prophets, and I think if you were to look primarily, if you were to look broadly through a prophet... So let's just take Nahum or Zechariah or you take Isaiah or you take Jeremiah. If you were to look just broadly through them, although they pronounce judgment on nations, sometimes their words seem harsh. If you really look broadly at a prophet, it wasn't that at all. They were bringing a warning from God to the people because God's heart was for the people. And so this harshness that seemed to be there, this if you, don't, uh, if you don't repent, you will face the strong arm of the Lord. It was never so that God could say, I'm boss and you're going to do what I want. It was really the heart of God knowing that they had wandered from the path that God had wanted them to walk from. And they were rebellious toward God and rebellion brings God's chastening. And so really, I think if we were really to grab a hold of uh, the intent of God, wanting his people to flourish and experience the joy and peace that are found coming through walking in this right relationship with him, 
we would understand that God's corrective words were simply so that his, he could speak to his people, get them to the place where he wants, where his blessings and favor lie. Now, here's something to know, and I've said this before, but if you were to take a timeline <clears throat> from, uh, you could start all the way back with Elijah, and you, have, you could have these, this timeline this way of, of, the, of the kings, uh, Israel and Judah, and you could just list them down like this. When Israel started to go sideways and begin to do all the things that they weren't supposed to do, you will see the prophets lining up a side of these kings, bringing God's corrective voice to them. And if I don't have, I do have a chart of it, but I didn't bring it, but you'll see during this time frame that we're talking about is there's a series of prophets that are lined up there that are constantly speaking to the nation of Israel for the most part, speaking to the nation of Israel going, hey, you are off track. You are going where you shouldn't be going. And you're going to, if you don't get back, if you don't repent, God's judgment is going to come. And then we learn that in the northern kingdom when Assyria came and in the southern kingdom when Babylon came, they could have done all they wanted, but God's judgment was still going to come because they refused to listen. So as we're looking into um, walking through um, this book of Jonah, we're going to see some of that. But I think, uh, I think, well, let me just back up for just a second and say this. So you wonder sometimes about God's judgment and you wonder, you could question, God, is God's really love his people because he brought this strict judgment upon them? Uh, it's kind of like this. So if you're a parent and your kids are going the wrong way and you sit them down and you talk to them about that, and then they keep going the wrong way and you set them down again and talk to them and they keep going the wrong way, what are you going to do as a parent? Somewhere along the line, it's going to get a little rough for you as a child. And the whole purpose isn't just to say, I'm the parent, you're going to do whatever I want to do. The whole idea is, I know that that is leading you to a place that will only bring damage to your life. And so sooner or later, what's going to have to happen is some kind of corrective measure come in that is going to cause the child to say, all right, well, I got a choice. I, I, can, I can keep going the wrong way and keep suffering for it, or I can just stop, fall in line, and begin to move in a direction that I need to go. And you as a parent, let me just say this, if you as a parent, your kids start getting out of line, they start going this way, and you never correct them, uh, my Bible says that they'll just bring shame to your life and destruction to theirs. So that's not a good situation. So if you're here, you're a kid, and you're hearing this, and your parents start talking to you, uh, something's going to happen. And here's something else. If you think that your parents aren't going to do something, and you're God's child, and he's not going to do anything, well, we have another thing coming there too. Because God, as well, is watching your life. And if you don't think God won't bring corrective measure on you as his child, you are very very mistaken. So, we've got the prophets. There's 16 of them. 12 minor prophets, uh, four major prophets. And again, God used them to speak to his people and to the nations around them, giving direction and warning and 
often telling them of things that are to come. Now, again, I said that Jonah is one of the minor prophets. Now, who can tell me what the book of Jonah is about? Raise your hand. Anybody tell me what the book of Jonah is about? Get it up if you know. See, a whole lot more people know what the book of Jonah is about, right? So somebody tell me. Who wants to tell me what the book of Jonah is about? Big piece. Somebody raise your hand. Jonah going to Nineveh to help them people get back with, well, to have God, to tell them to repent of the way they were going. And Jonah didn't want to go because he knew that God was merciful and he Mm -hmm. didn't like the people of Nineveh because they were not of his people. Okay. What else do we know about Jonah? There was a big what in Jonah? Fish. Fish. There was a big fish in Jonah, right? Now, I, what I love about, you know, as I began to, as we've been looking at Jonah and just taking deeper dives into Jonah, one of the things that is uh, interesting is you go through the minor prophets and a couple people might know a few things about it, but when you get to the book of Jonah, People going, ooh, 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 I know what that's about. Because typically it's about the big fish, right? It's about what God did through uh, this fish and his prophet. So we kind of remember that. So it's unique because we can remember. But here Jonah, he's really the only prophet of the New Te- Old Testament that God specifically sent to a foreign nation. Specifically his duty at this point juncture in that we read from his book he was supposed to go to Nineveh and preach against Nineveh and tell them and yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed now although the book of Jonah has this warning of judgment for the city because of their wickedness I think there's some other aspects of this book that we need to see and one of them for me is that I see Jonah as um, the book of Jonah that God was dealing with an individual. So when you read through all four chapters of Jonah, it's not that it's not about the sovereignty of God. It's not about miracles and how God is just going to bring things to bring his will to pass, which really is in the idea of sovereignty and the miracles that are involved in that to get that there. But it shows me that how God was dealing with this individual, with his prophet. With, so, so I'm thinking how God has dealt with the nation of Israel, how God deals with foreign nations, and how God is dealing with individuals. And so I kind of see that in the book. So for me, it's not so much about the... Pro- for me, when I look at it, big piece, well, it's really not so much about the prophecy, it's about the prophet and about God's dealing with him. And so... Jonah, you know, he tells us a story is, is a story of what actually happened. So some people say, no, 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 I, I, yeah, no, it's really more of an allegory. Uh, it is really the story of Jonah is a fable and it was passed down so that they could, so that Israel could learn a truth about who God was and it really wasn't real. But we read in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, that <clears throat> Jonah was a real person. He was a prophet of God, and he did prophesy uh, to the kings in Samaria, or in the, to the kings of uh, uh, Israel. And when I was studying in the timelines, 
Jonah was a predecessor of Elijah and Elisha. And if you put the time frames up there, he probably knew them. I, I was reading one commentary, uh, well, several of them actually, that they said that they feel that Jonah was probably one of the, went to the school of the prophets that Elijah, Elisha had. And so we see this um, kind of a historical narrative that is taking place in the book of Jonah. It's a historical narrative in the respect that it gives times and people and places and events that actually happened. And we're going to get into that next week. This stuff is chronicled. So, uh, and lastly, you know, people, pe- pe- people want to be dismissive of the book, but Jesus validated Jonah and the story of Jonah. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> verses 38 through 40, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus. He said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, verse 40. For just as Jonah... So Jesus is validating this story. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now it's interesting because the the scribes and Pharisees up until this point, they had seen a lot of signs that Jesus had done. Matter of fact, if they were open to it, they saw enough signs to validate Jesus as the Messiah. But the reality is they didn't want to believe Jesus. And so when he says that, you know, hey, here's the sign. It's going to be the sign of Jonah. Just as he was three days in the belly of the fish, I'm going to be three days in the, in the in this, uh, whatever it says, the heart of the earth. To me, I grab this out of that. Basically, Jesus is saying to them, you will think I'm dead. But just like Jonah, when he was thrown overboard, God will miraculously give me life, just like he gave Jonah life. Because I think about it, remember when the sailors, they threw him off the boat, they just figured he was dead. They, they thought him dead, and that wasn't the case. There's a lot of analogies you could draw from this, but just for me, looking at it, Jesus, in my mind, Jesus going, yeah, uh, here's the sign that I'm going to give you. You're going to think I'm dead, but that's not it. And God is mirac- going to miraculously, just like he did Jonah, he is going to raise me to life to fulfill his will in my life and through my life. And the will of God in Jonah in raising him was to preach to Nineveh so that the city could repent. And in Jesus, God raising him from the dead was to give us new life. And bring repentance to those whom he had called. Now, I think it's interesting, I've, over the years, you know, you talk to different people, and it's like the unbelievers or the atheists, the, 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 the people that just give pushback, you know, they're the ones, with, when it comes to the story of Jonah, they just like to bash it. Yeah, oh, eh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, no, the, yeah, yeah, I know that one, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, big fish, swallowed the guy, spit him up, yeah, that's why I don't believe the Bible, right? That is exactly why I don't believe the Bible. I don't know if you've had anybody, yeah that, ju- yeah, that just shows you no way, there's no way. And yet, 
it, it's what's humorous to me, it is the very story that should give hope to them in their life. How God went to a rebellious, wayward people, right? And through His sovereignty, sent His prophet to bring hope and rescue and salvation to the disobedient, to the unbelieving, to those that would give pushback. So it, it's an interesting story, uh, just the contrast that we see throughout the book of Jonah. Now, thinking about the, this, before we jump into Jonah, let me just kind of set a context, his, historical context of where the nation of Israel was. So we know that Solomon's son, and I get this wrong, is it Rehoboam was his son? And Yeah, Rehoboam. So we know that when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam was going to go to the throne um, over the whole nation of Israel, right? And he got some uh, wise counsel from those that were the elders, and they said, hey, this is how you need to be. You need to show grace to the people. If you show them grace, they will serve you. He goes to the young ones, they're going, yeah, you just need to say, man, you thought my dad was bad. You wait till I come on the scene. And we know what happened. There was a division. Ten tribes went, of the northern ten tribes went with Jeroboam, and the two southern tribes stayed and went with Rehoboam. So there's this division now. Out of this, once this happens, when you read through the scripture, you see that the northern kingdom had their... Almost all of their kings were just bad kings. It started out bad because when they went north, uh, Jeroboam decided, well, I don't want people to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple because then they may go back uh, there. I, w- I want them to be my people, so I'm going to build these idols and I'm going to have them worship here. So they got off to a bad start right off the bat. And so... Here's what you would read most often with those that were kings of the northern kingdom. And king, just fill in the blank, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then you might have this biphrase, this this qualifier. And so and so did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not follow the Lord. And so and so did evil in the eyes of the Lord and followed after the gods of other nations. And so and so did evil in the sight of the Lord and did the evil deeds that his father had done. And so you see that often. And one of the ways that God brought judgment on Israel when you read is that he would use other nations to bring judgment on Israel. So Israel would live at peace. They would... They would do evil in the eyes of the Lord and serve other gods, and God would bring other nations to discipline and bring corrective measure to his people, and they would be in captivity, and they'd be subject to the other nations. And then the repeated thing, and then they cried unto the Lord, and the Lord had mercy on them, and God brought a deliverer to deliver them. It's like the judges brought a deliverer to deliver them from the hands of. So at this time... When Jonas prophesied, you have Rehoboam II, he's king. Now his father, um, Jehoiahaz, or his grandfather, Jehoiah, so he's got, here's um, Jeroboam, Jehoiash is his dad, Jehoiahaz is his grandpa. So it says that Jehoiahaz did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God brought the Armenians to bring him into captivity. 
And after a period of time, and I didn't look it up because for me it's irrelevant, after a period of time, he repented. Jehoiahaz repented. Uh, And because he repented, God had mercy on him and the people and caused them to um, be defeated. I think another nation was bringing, uh, was coming against them. And anyway, they backed off. So Jehoiahaz doing bad. God's bringing a nation to discipline him. He repents and God pulls that away. Now the nation of Israel has peace. His son that followed him, Jehoiash, followed Jehoiahaz. And he took advantage of a peacetime to rebuild what was destroyed and what was taken. Because other nations would come in and they'd pilfage the northern kingdom. And so he built back the kingdom under this time of peace. After he dies, his son Jeroboam II comes in. And it's still a peacetime, and he's rebuilding the kingdom of Israel. He's taken back all the towns and all the cities that other nations took, so that it was almost to the size it was when uh, Solomon reigned. But Jeroboam was not a good king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so, during, during the time that there was peace, uh, politically, militarily, and economically, something was going on in the land of Israel. And what was going on in the land of Israel was idolatry. The immorality was on a downward spiral. They were taking advantage of the poor. And God was not happy with what was going on there. And so God sends two of Jonah's contemporaries, Amos and Hosea, to preach against Israel, saying, you better, judgment's coming. If you don't change, judgment is coming. Now, during the time when there was all this uh, political um, strength, military strength, economic strength, during, that's, this is when Jonah takes place. So Jonah doesn't really see Israel or Assyria as a big threat because Israel is strong. But yet what God was seeing is Israel was not. So he's seeing through the outward. Matter of fact, he prophesied that the kingdom would expand during Jeroboam II. God used him, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, uses him to to preach this prophetic word to Jeroboam saying, don't worry about, don't worry about the Armenians because what's going to happen is I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to bring strength to the kingdom. And he uses Jonah to do that. So in my mind, Jonah's not really worried about Nineveh uh, and what Nineveh's up to. They're not, they're not really a threat to him. And when you think about, when you read through the prophets, you know, m- many of the prophets prophesied when it seemed as though Israel or Judah were strong because they were just often we look at the outward signs but inwardly the nation itself the the immorality the the injustice that was taking place people 
people kind of, some setting aside God altogether, some maybe adding to. Well, I'm going to worship God, but I'm I'm also going to worship Baal, or I'm going to worship whatever, whatever, whatever. And so often we look, and I think think sometimes we, we think, okay, well, I'm doing good outwardly. But God always looks inward. Not just in a nation what's going on, but in what's going on in the hearts of the people. And so for our lives, we need to understand, you can have it all looking good on the outside, but God is not looking there. God is looking inwardly. And so I think uh, uh, a thing that we need to think about is God is always concerned about the morality of his people. He is always concerned where they are. And the reason of that is, what's it say in, uh, in uh, is it Matthew 12? Maybe not. Uh, it says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, you put yeast in a loaf, in a lump of dough, and it's going to affect the whole lump. And so, we need to understand that also, we need to understand that just here, when you see what's going on, is that sin has consequences in the nation. And when we start talking about Jonah, we're going to see that really, sin had consequences in Jonah's life because of his disobedience. And so, look at Nineveh. Sin had consequences even in this foreign nation because of the way they lived and the things that they did. So I'm thinking about all this, and I'm going, God, you're amazing. This is like this precursor uh, to Jesus. This, this whole idea. As a matter of fact, you can almost say that the book of Jonah is almost like the book of Acts. Because it was when Jesus came, died, the book of Acts, what's it do? It takes the church to the ends of the world. See, in the Old Testament, what used to happen is the world, the nations, used to come to Israel to worship God. Now what takes place is the people of God go to the nations to share about the goodness and the grace of God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says this, says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, God is concerned about where humanity is as a nation. He's concerned where humanity is individually. God's concerned about your life. Where, where are you. And if there's sin in your life, I can tell you just like God would deal with a nation, He deals with us individually. He just presses on us, presses on us, presses on us. He keeps speaking to us, speaking to us. It kind of works like this. I'm not where I need to be. I'm reading through Proverbs and I start reading something that probably affects where I'm living. And it's on, you know, God's trying to get to me and I'm thumbing the page. I flick on the radio and the song speaks it. I go to church and the pastor says it. I'm involved in small group and somebody brings it up. See, this is, this, is a, this is a modern day God trying to get your attention type thing because he knows where you're living. And all he's wanting 
is to get you at a place so that you can find His favor. He's not wanting to... His heart isn't toward discipline. His heart is toward blessing. His heart is toward favor. So all that God is trying to do within our hearts and lives is try to get us to acknowledge what is right and what is wrong. And so again, let me just kind of close with this thought. Um, I said that what the book of Acts is to the New Testament, this prophecy of Jonah is to the Old Testament. It shows that God has always had a concern from the lost, for the lost and all those who are without hope. Because what was Israel's primary role? They were to be lights to the nations around them so they could see the glory and the goodness of their God. So that the nations would come to Israel, just like you find the Queen of Sheba, and others that would come to Israel and see the wonder and the blessing and the favor of God and His laws and how right and proper they were, so that those people could take that back to their nations to, to, to establish the same. And so now we see that it is this, what Jonah is almost like a, kind of like a, a spotlight in the future about what was going to take place. No longer will the nations come to Israel, but the people of God will go to the nations.